Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Nation to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast under the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside GDB Live and the 3 and D Podcast. You can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies or on the web at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me today is none other than Big Nate Chester. Nate, what's going on? Not much, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. We uh, brought someone over from the enemy lines. We have Chris Connor from the Bird Rights. Chris, what's going on? Man, nothing much, man. Um, it's definitely definitely a pleasure to be on. I was kind of surprised when you guys when you guys reached out, but it looks like around around both sides we're seeing more. Uh, more podcasts, more more work being done, you know, together to kind of not only, you know, I don't know, um, you know, excite excite core or well, excite both sides of the fan bases here, but you know, just uh, just shed light on what type of situation we could be looking at with a possible rivalry brewing, which at worst is going to be really exciting for both sides, and like you guys mentioned. You know, last year at this time, there wasn't much to be excited about going forward for either side. So I'm happy to be on. Yeah, Chris, like, you know, um, Parker and I could talk every single week about all the championships that Grizzlies are going to win over the next decade. (laughs) It means the Pelicans, you know, unfortunately or not, you know, that's just the way the mathematics works there, unless my math is off. But here at the core four, we do love diversity of thought and we do love bringing the opinions in from the other side. So we're happy to have you, man. I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely a pleasure. I, I actually sent, I sent Parker a, uh, and, and actually me and Parker did, did some work together before, I believe last year, uh, where I do this series kind of off and on called, called outside of outsider's perspective, where I try to bring a piece to the New Orleans side of things that can kind of give them a chance to look a little further than, say, a box score or what they may read every now and then about an opposing team. But now, considering how, you know, both both sides are taking jabs here and there and, you know, trying to trying to insult each other where, you know, wherever they can, I, I, th- I think it might make for even more of a of a beautiful piece now. But yeah, man, um, it's definitely good to be a part of stuff like this and talk about the Pelicans uh, dominating the Grizzlies over the next five years. Oh, okay. So we prank you on, and if you're gonna like cut like a WWE style promo on us, then I'll just lay the smack down on you. This would be like a little bit of like The Rock versus Stone Cold. No, this man, would be we just pretty fun. We just we just talking basketball, man. That's all. That's all. You know, we, we, for you know, sure. Yeah. Be, you know. You know. We, we gonna keep it cordial. We are gonna keep it nice and respectful. You know. I I, I got my wine out. I, you know. I think it's. You know. We got all the makers for a good show, man. Yeah, basketball. For sure. 
basketball at its core is not a nerdy analytic sport the way that baseball is, where you can take a look at the box score every night and basically get everything that you need to know for the rest of the season. There are probably a few writers, one named Justin Lewis on our staff, who may not be very happy that I just said that, but it's the truth nonetheless. But basketball is a sport of passion. It's a sport of emotion. And when those emotions come out from both sides of the spectrum, from both teams and their fan bases, as they start to rise into the limelight, as they start to become true contenders, man, I just love it. I just eat it up. And like the jabs going back and forth, like you said, Chris, like that stuff's just endlessly entertaining to me. As long as you don't cross the lines, which I don't think I've seen that in any shape, way or form or fashion here over the last few days, last few weeks. But uh, it's been great. I'm loving it. I mean, you need you need rivalries in sports, you know, um, while, you know, things can get a little a little testy at times, depending on how long lasting of a rivalry and how how emotional things can end up getting. You know, these are these are the things that make sport, you know, it makes a sport what it's what it's worth day in and day out. And, you know, a lot of times these these sports rivalries, they transcend just basketball or, and you know, football, for example, like. One thing that New Orleans has, what I'm seeing a lot of when I've been when I've been talking about, you know, what New Orleans and the Grizzlies could bring, and other and other writers, is, you know, as well. The first thing that New Orleans fans bring bring up are uh, the Falcons. Are we getting a Saints, you know, Falcons type rivalry here? You know, you know, we've been we've been waiting for it. Well, you know, the good thing about or the great thing about that particular rivalry, in you know, outside of football, is that. You know, those cities, Atlanta, Atlanta and New Orleans, they have more in common than they really want to give each other, you know, credit for. And, you know, my man, my man David Grubb, who does a wonderful job, you know, has a has a has a great radio show every every morning in the city and, and writes for the bird rights and a couple out other outlets as well. You know, he he brought it to my attention and I I guess I just never put a whole bunch of thought into it, how much in common New Orleans and Memphis has in regards to just the cities you know i mean in 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 memphis you have bill street in new orleans you have bourbon and in memphis you have you have blues you got uh you know in in barbecue in new orleans you have seafood and you know you have jazz they both have they both have hip-hop groups that they kind of hit the scene at the same time they were big for they were big for the culture um you know when i'm driving i live in chicago when i gotta drive to new orleans 13 hours Anytime I drive out there, I got to pass Memphis to get there. You know, um, it's just, it's interesting how much the cities have in common. And I think that that's going to make for a big part of the rivalry as well. You know, two two smaller markets that are very, very passionate and that have a culture outside of just whatever sport they're playing. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I really love how you hit on like the cultural part of Memphis and New Orleans because they are very similar in that regard. I mean, I've been out on both Beale Street and Bourbon Street. Granted, don't remember a whole lot of those nights, but that was, <laughs> yeah, that, that's the whole fun in it. I mean, they're, I mean, the food scene, the music scene. And also, I think the biggest thing with this, and we alluded to this at the beginning of the show, is they're so similar as the small market teams where around this time last year, the Grizzlies and the Pelicans, they get bullied by national media, whether it's relocation rumors to Seattle and Las Vegas. Or I remember Stephen A. Smith, they pointed this to me the other day, saying 
uh, he was saying Zion should go back to Duke so that he can avoid going to the Pelicans, a small market like the Pelicans. I mean, we're just both used to that. And now they have Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. And on the Grizzly side, you have John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark. And both franchises, you can argue, have top three to top five upside in the entire league. And it might be the greatest thing to ever happen to small market basketball or maybe small market sports in general. Yeah, absolutely. Parker, to contrast with you, with your uh, drunken escapades in New Orleans, last time I was there, I was there uh, visiting a seminary. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I went to the uh, Pelicans and Jazz preseason game and, I know it's become a bit of a cliche in the last 10 to 15 years to say uh, this is the best prospect, best high school prospect since LeBron James. This is the best NBA prospect since LeBron James. There are many guys who have held that moniker over the past few years. But I believe it was two or three nights after Zion had like 28 points on like 11 of 12 shooting in Chicago in a preseason game. It was something absurd. And he was on all the billboards that I saw on my lead up to the Smoothie King Center. And I had never felt such passion and energy about a young player. And maybe it was the fact that the marketing department had built everything they did around Zion for this year, but him checking into the game, the roar of emotion from the crowd whenever he did, and Zion was ridiculous in that game too. He was throwing Rudy Gobert around like a rag doll, had like 25 points through three quarters. I'm not even sure if he played in the fourth quarter of that game. I know you enjoyed that, Nate. Oh, yeah, I did. Uh, Chris, in case you don't know, I'm GBB's resident Rudy Gobert hater. So that's uh, where Parker gets that reference from. But um, it made me a fan that night to see that. And it made me a fan of him personally just to see the type of emotions he provokes with every play that he is on the basketball court, with how he impacts the game in various ways beyond his just jaw-dropping highlights. And when I get back to Memphis and I go to Grizzlies games, I cover Grizzlies games, and I see Memphians' response to Ja Morant, it is similar. And I can't think of any other small markets in the way that they have been able to rally around their young stars outside of Cleveland and LeBron James back in 2003 when he was a rookie. That's something truly special to think about. Maybe Luca to a certain degree for Dallas last year, but even I don't think Luca quite had this aura around him that the two of them have at this time. And it's just so exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think one one very um underestimated element of what is so important about guys like Zion's when they go guys like Zion when they go to small markets is you know, it's 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 not always about talent. You know, the, the thing that while John Moran is talent in Memphis and, and Zion is very, you know, it's, it's been talked about, you know, since he stepped into was stepped in a, a, his junior year in high school and later going on to Duke. Um, I think, you know, it's the personality that Zion brings and the fact that the people within those cities can they feel as if they can they can relate to this guy, and it's similar to to John Morant. He responds to he responds to fans online. He talks about the city. You know, it's no different from you know that the previous era of basketball in Memphis, the grit and grind era. While it may not have been the prettiest, you know, the prettiest 
style of basketball to watch unless you were an old school Detroit Pistons fan. You know, you if you were a part of that city, you loved watching that team because they gave you everything they had. And you feel like those guys, they were one of you. If you saw them at a bar, you would want to go have a beer or a drink or, you know, in, in my case, uh, you know, a glass of tequila with them. You know what I'm saying? And with and with and with Zion, it's a similar it's a similar fashion. Now, while he can't legally drink yet, we're not gonna we we're not gonna throw the drink the drinking aspect at him just yet. But um, you know, you look at Zion, you look at some of these other guys that have that have joined the city, Josh Hart. You know, it, it's it's there's an old cliche, and which I hate I hate that it's used as much, but it does have some truth to it. To where you know they say if you love the city of New Orleans, it will love you back. And I, I know a lot of people, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk too much about, about Anthony Davis, but um, one of the big things that I think national media, people outside the city miss with AD in regards to his time in New Orleans is that the people never felt connected to him, you know, um, and that may not be a hundred percent his fault. And I don't, but it, it, it damn sure isn't the, you know, the people in the city's fault, but they never felt connected to AD. The minute Zion got drafted, you know, and you could see that parade of people out there backed up, you know, thousands of people. The, you know, before that, when, when the lottery was being drafted, I'm, I'm sorry, when the lottery was going on and you can see the reaction of the marketing team. Um, you know, Zion just has an impact on people that it transcends just what a talented basketball player is normally able to bring. And that's huge for small markets because that's how you get people to buy in. And that's how you're able to eventually build a culture that people remember and that relates to other other states. So yeah, man, I mean everything you said about Zion is great, man. I mean it's true. He's you know he's electric. And um I mean again that's that's one of the greatest things I think that is building around this Memphis New Orleans connection right now is that they both have similar pieces like that. To where both cities are buying in not only to the basketball and the success there, but the people that are involved. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's absolutely accurate to say, and I thought this before preseason, before training camp, summer league, and all of it, that Zion was bigger in New Orleans on the night he got drafted than Anthony Davis ever was, and I think that is far more true now than even it was back then. Yeah, no, I mean, one hundred percent, and that's no, that's no shot at that, that's no shot at AD. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a hell of a player. He was, he was worthy of of being the number one overall pick. And while he didn't, he didn't have the success that I that I think everyone originally imagined. And there's a lot of things that go into that particular situation. But no, I mean, he. He was never he was never going to give you the overall impact, the charisma, the personality, the market, you know, the marketability, the you know, the just the overall package that that you get in Zion. I mean, in hell at 19, that's just that's just who you are. That's the luck of the draw, you know, um, and it's just it's crazy that, you know, we're going to be talking about this draft with guys like John and, and Zion who come out and are just stars on and off the floor and I, I i think we're both blessed to have them play in areas like a memphis and new orleans versus a new york versus a los angeles or some of these other bigger places because you need more san antonio's in in your league maybe not from a 
you know, maybe not from how they're how they're structured completely and 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 how from a personality standpoint, but just from culture and from just you know complete standing in the league. San Antonio has been relevant for over twenty years now in regards to being one of the more respectable or one of the most respected basketball places, basketball franchises, organizations in the league, and. If you're a team like Memphis and New Orleans and you want to have something like that continue from piece to piece to piece down the line, you know, this is where it starts. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think one thing that's almost a misconception in this robbery is, and I think this is the case in a lot of topics, but the most stubborn and the most rational are the loudest. I mean, you have people on the Pelican side saying, but we didn't have Zion all season. He, we were great when he came back. Oh, look at the group. We swept y'all 2-0. We would have beaten y'all 4-0, and y'all had a hard schedule. Meanwhile, the Grizzlies are like, look at the stand, standings. We're in eighth. Y'all aren't. But that's the loudest part. So, and I think this podcast is really showing that there's more of a mutual respect than anything and the fact that we both want each other to succeed because at the end – it's the best for the small market. I mean, imagine if for the next five, 10 years, you have teams like Memphis, New Orleans, Milwaukee, Atlanta as the successful NBA franchises despite their market. So, Chris, I want to ask you, what is your outsider perspective on the Memphis, this current Memphis Grizzlies team? Well, I mean, number one, I'm, I'm surprised. <laughs> you know, I, I think, and, and I asked you, I asked you a question in in uh, in relevance to this for uh, the piece that I'm going to put together and, and and post on the Bird Rights later on in the week. But you know, it, it's number one. I didn't think that they would be this good this fast, right? I question how some of the pieces would work together. I mean, and let's be honest, they they have a lot of guys on their team that, I mean, I don't, like, I don't enjoy watching Kyle Anderson play the game of basketball. I just simply don't. But he's a guy that I would want on my team, you know? Um, I don't I don't always enjoy uh, Jonas um, Valanciunas playing playing a game of basketball, but you know what? He's been a part of a lot of winning teams, and he's very good for that basketball team. Um, but even still, as they were as they were starting, you know, because if I remember correctly, they got off to a little bit of a slow start, and then they started to catch they started to catch fire. Uh, things just started to started to come into play, and this is even and this is before Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill ended up being traded. But I mean, there were. I think what is most interesting is just some of the players that that are on this team that I wasn't necessarily sure about or I didn't know about that I grew to kind of respect their game, like a DeAnthony Melton. Um, I don't know what he's going to be long term in the NBA, but I like watching him play. And I think he's well-rounded enough to where if you have him as a as a guard coming off of your bench, think you're in you're in good shape i think he's a guy that could develop and eventually be a starter for a team i think he's that good uh, you have guys like josh jackson who a lot of people were ready to throw out the league he comes in he comes in i, I believe went on a on a 10-day contract and he's playing out of his mind you know and has an opportunity to be a part of this 
young core. I mean, I know it feels like Josh has maybe been in the league longer than he than he has, but I mean, he's he's only been in the league two years. You know, I mean, he he's I I think he just turned twenty three years old. Um, Dylan Brooks really kind of putting things together this year on both sides of the of the basketball floor, but 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 mainly being able to you know to score not just well, you know when he first got in the league I just thought he was a guy that can shoot I remember him I, I remember I believe his rookie year game one was against the Pelicans and this it was it was DeMarcus Cousins' first full season in New Orleans well it wasn't a full season he ended up getting that was the year he tore his Achilles but you know we I, I ended up watching Dylan Brooks I'm like who the hell is this Dylan Brooks dude and this is when Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley was still there but watching them from from there just pr- proving that he's much more than a shooter watching what he does off the ball. And when the ball is in his hands, it's great to watch. I knew what I, I thought I would know what John, you know, what John Morant could do. Uh, but some of these other guys, Brandon Clark, I actually wanted the Pelicans to draft him. You guys got him. He's been a, he's been a, you know, a plus player the minute he stepped on the floor, you know, and then you got Jaron Jackson Jr. Who has become a, you know, a sniper from deep. I didn't know that that's, that, that, that is exactly what he was going to be. I think that pick and roll, pick and pop tandem is going to be great for years to come. So, um, I mean, I, I think I think in total, like the team is forcing you to respect them, and you know, they've had other things, you know, in the way the whole Andre Iguodala thing was made national news, and how the you know some of the things that the Grizzlies players and fans had to say about about Iggy and that whole process. But when it's all said and done, they're doing it you know, the right way on the basketball floor. And it's making you pay attention to everybody from the players to the coach and Taylor Jenkins. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't, they, they haven't needed the, all of the attention that I think that they are slowly starting to earn to really catch the, catch the eye of, of many as they've been climbing the ranks in the Western Conference and then they eventually got a hold on to that eight seed. So, um, I, I mean, they're very similar to the Pelicans in regards to their youth and some of the players that they have going forward. And then some, you know, some of the veterans that they have there, I, they, they have a lot of things that are, that are intriguing when it's all said and done, but I just like to see some of the way that these players have developed and the second chances that they've given guys. And I mean, I, I think it's going to be really exciting going forward. Yeah, for sure, man. And you're talking about surprises and being surprised at how the Grizzlies have overachieved and how those guys have settled into their roles. And I got to admit, the Pelicans have surprised me in various ways over this season. And you're not going to like the first one, but I need to say it. They surprised me with how bad they were during the first third of the season. And I'm not trying to hold your feet to the fire here, Chris, but I tweeted you that article link, I think, this past Saturday. Yeah. You called it like you saw it back at the time. I'm not saying you were wrong for saying that back at the time at all, but you said that Alvin Gentry has run his time in New Orleans. It's time for new leadership there that he needed to be fired. And I think at the time that you wrote that piece, they were like, what, 6-22, and 6-21? and 21. Is that about right? Six and a lot of losses, man. Yeah, yeah, so, and I know Zion wasn't active at the time, but I thought the pieces they had meshed together well, like Lonzo and Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram. You're bringing in not only talented young guys like that, but guys who have already played together, who've gotten to know each other well and are bringing that chemistry from the Lakers to New Orleans. And there's other talent on that roster 
So my question for you is what changed? Like what adjustment was made that allowed them to start catching fire? And it, and it started happening long, but like at least 10 to 15 games before Zion even entered into the lineup. What happened to make them start playing differently to raise their level of play? I mean, I, I wish I could point at one thing in all honesty, but it was, but it's never that simple. It was, it was an influx of things all at once. They had, you know, there, there was a time where, like, when I wrote that article, I didn't just write it because it was how I felt necessarily. I wrote it because I felt like it was going to happen. And I wanted to get out. I wanted to be the first to put it out there because I, I really felt like there was a chance after they got back home, after leaving Golden State, being second to last in the Western Conference, and I believe um, like the third worst in the league, I thought that Alvin was going to re- could possibly receive his papers. Now, he didn't. But, you know, what happened more than anything, I you know, we got to remember that a lot of these guys, it's really their not only is it their first year playing together, but it's their first year in some of these roles, right? You know, um, Brandon Ingram, the minute he walked into New Orleans, he had the most opportunity in any offense than he's really ever had. And earlier in, in and not only not only had he had he received the most opportunity, but he was ready for it. His game was finally ready. He had made the adjustments from a shooting perspective and some some shot tweaks. You know, he was he was ready. He had had the stretch to end the season before he had his uh, his blood condition. And you could see him slowly starting to put things together and that confidence was with it. And one thing I will always say about Elvin Gentry's system is that it's a system I would want to play in because it doesn't matter if I'm 0 for 10 or I'm 10 for 10, he's going to want me to continue to shoot. And that's good for guys' confidence, for guys that need to find themselves and you know gather some type of consistency and rhythm. So there's one element. You got, you know, you got Lonzo, it was while he's in the backcourt with Drew Holiday, Drew has the ball. You know, he, he may be the point guard, but Drew does have the ball in his hands a lot. You know, I mean, Drew still has a lot of point guard qualities. He's a guy that can and will play point guard in a pinch. So Zoe's a guy that needs to find his way. Well, in the beginning was, I'm going to be a spot-up shooter. Well, his jump shot wasn't, cons- it wasn't consistently, it wasn't at the mature level that it started to be at as he continued to put those reps in later on. So he wasn't being very successful on top of him, not consistently driving to the, to the basket and just working out some things that he never was able to, to fix or uh, work on in Los Angeles or in his time in UCLA or before it just wasn't asked upon him or if it was, he just never got to it. Um, so that needed time to, 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 to figure out in jail. I mean, I would say, you know, the only, the, they only had a few people that could, that day one could step into their role and it wouldn't be foreign to them, and they will be able to hit the ground running. And you could say it's Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, Josh Hart, and Derek Favors, for the most part. Those are pretty much the only guys, and I, I might be missing one or one or two players, maybe maybe Etwan Moore or something, but those are really the only guys that could say that, you know, I know what I'm, I know what I'm here to do, I'm comfortable doing it, and it's not going to be an adjustment. It's not going to take an adjustment period for me to figure out a way to do it. Derek Favors had had missed some time through injury and through the passing of his mom. 
him coming back was huge for them. It helped their defense. They were one of the worst. They were the worst defense in basketball when I wrote that article. The defense slowly started to rise just by Derek Favors being on the floor and you not having to rely on Jackson Hayes and Angelo Okafor uh, consistently. Um, and yeah, man. I mean, once the defense started to change, once they made some changes on that side of the you know the uh, the basketball, their their defensive coordinator or, or defensive associate head coach Jeff Jeff Bezdilic kind of gave the players a little bit of more say so more control and the style of defense that they played so they could feel more comfortable and then you I mean from there man they just started to really pick things up they feel comfortable they all feel confident and it felt like it all happened together um it just was a weird just a weird mix of which everything slowly started to fall together when they got healthy and then Zion came back and it was another transitional period. But then they found it, you know, they ended up finding it again. It's just, if you follow this team, man, they have been, they have had some of the worst injury luck, you know, known to man over the past five years. And this is hard welcoming, welcoming in different star lineups and guys left and right. You need consistency. And once they found that, guys started to find themselves, feel secure in their role. And uh, the talent started to, started to match or started to give them wins that I think, you know, you guys may have assumed they would have. Yeah, for sure. And Chris, I do want to point out, which is like, you know, you mentioned Monzo Ball, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram. When the Pelicans got those guys in the Anthony Davis trade, I was ecstatic. I love Josh Hart. I love what he brings to the table. He reminds me of, Marcus Smart, if you put more of his defense into his offense, I think he could be a good elite role player. And then Nate can tell you too, I'm a huge Alonzo Ball guy. I've been a big fan of his since he was at UCLA. I actually have a pair of the ZO2s that I actually hoop in sometimes. Yeah. Embarrassing, man. Embarrassing. Do you change them after every quarter? (laughs) <laughs> no, I I actually don't. I I've worn them pretty consistently for about two or whenever I who about two or three no years lie. now. So no lie, the first time he wore those shoes, we were playing pickup in them, and he pulled something totally out of his butt, something he couldn't replicate ever if he tried. But he throws a lob from like like the, the opposite low, free throw line, yeah, like, like from the free throw line, and some guy finishes it with a layup on the other end, and he pointed, he looked at me. <laughs> And pointed right at the Zoes, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> that's amazing. But, <laughs> but Chris, like with that, you know, Lonzo Ball's gotten a lot of hype, especially as he was turning it around, and especially that pairing with him and Zion is just amazing. But tell me if I'm if you share the same sentiment here. But has Brandon Ingram been slept on? I mean, he's a 22 year old All Star wing who is coming off a season where he's averaging 24, six and four. So is there this feeling in Pelicans Twitter that he's being slept on? Because that's something I see a lot. You know, I saw, I saw a tweet today that made me think, and I don't, I don't know it word for word, but basically what it was saying is that with Brandon Ingram, you're, you're talking about a guy that's averaging, like you said, 20, 24, six and four. And at, and at one point he was, I think, I think 21, 21, six and five at one point it went down, but 20, but 24, six and four, 
I mean, his shooting, his shooting splits are fantastic. He's shooting almost 40% from three, almost 50% from the field. He's shooting 85% from the free throw line. I mean, what that, that's that's beautiful. And the tweet was basically saying, how many other guys can we think of that would be almost almost that would give you a tendency to overthink their future going forward? Like, how many other guys can put up those type of numbers? And we'd be like, when we talk about some of the best players in the in, in basketball going forward, we'd be like, I don't know if he's going to be there yet. Or we just forget to mention his name. There's not many guys that I can think of. I mean, because you look at the the type of recognition that Jason Tatum's getting right now. And I get it because Tatum is fantastic on both sides of the floor. Uh, you know, I, I think he's one of the, you know, he's a, he's a top five wing in basketball when you, if you're considering both sides of it, we're talking two way. Um, I think he's, you know, he's finally put a lot of things together and I'm proud to see him as somebody who was the original piece that I wanted for Anthony Davis. But um, definitely, definitely would take would would take Brandon Ingram. But yeah, I mean, he's for sure getting getting slept on. Um, I don't think many people saw this coming, and I think that's the problem with it. People had original thoughts about Brandon coming to New Orleans, um, in regards to his long range shooting, to his ability to play defense. If he was going to be able to survive at his weight for a full season. There were there were a lot of his his shooting at the free throw line. I mean, there were a lot of things to point at with with BI. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people had those had those thoughts had those thoughts coming into the year. And it took them a long time. And even now, they may need to see a little bit more to completely buy in. It doesn't really bother me, you know, necessarily because I think I think I'm used to that and I'm happy with Brandon is that that doesn't really bother him. Like if you, if you, if you, if you watched him, if you see how he acts with people, if you notice what type of dude he is, he's not really doing it for attention or uh, he's not doing it for notoriety. He's not a heavy social media presence. Uh, I mean, that guy lives, sleeps, breathes, everything basketball. That's just who he is. The, the coaches, the executives, his teammates, everybody's talked about it, you know? So, I think that um, I think part of him really enjoys the fact that he's being slept on in a sense because it gives him the opportunity to really show people because he's a, because he he has he has somewhat in, of dog in him to where he may not be petty about it but he wants you to know yo you made a mistake by doubting me um, now I do know he made comments early in the year about well about a, about contracts that will be handed out a lot of people pointed that he was really talking about Jamal Murray we know that he wants to get paid and he believes that he deserves to get paid and he will but when it's all said and done all that dude wants to play basketball you know what I mean all, all he wants to do is play basketball and i don't think i don't think it even matters anymore if he slept on he's going to have the opportunity in this bubble hopefully uh if you know new orleans is able to overcome this deficit and get into an AC matchup with the Lakers, he'll have an opportunity then and going forward with this core to really, you know, validate some of the praises that are coming within New Orleans circles. And it won't be long before everybody's on that train. Mm -hmm, for sure. And I know at the beginning when we, before we started the call, I said it was going to be like 25, 30 minutes, but you know, that's the beauty of podcasts. When the conversation's rolling, just time gets away. And this has been a very fun show. And I'm going to ask each of you a question 
to close the show, I'll start with Nate because I want to use this part to educate the opposing fan bases. So, Nate, who's one player on the Grizzlies that New Orleans Pelicans fans should pay more attention to? One player, huh? One, I guess, just one. Yeah, I guess this needs to be somebody that they're not everybody super familiar with. Then, right? Yeah, yeah. Like somebody who's gonna play, you know? Don't give me like. Yeah, but if there's one guy, I think the Pelicans among other fan bases need to pay attention to. It's got to be DeAnthony Melton, who you already mentioned, Chris. And Melton has been extremely instrumental and impactful to the Grizzlies' success this year. I think something that's not very commonly known about him is that while the Grizzlies did struggle basically all the way to December, once he became a regular member of the rotation on whatever date it was in December, they won at a 47-win pace from that point on. And he brings a delectable combination of defense. He's a very good secondary playmaker. Um, his, lings, his wingspan and quickness allows him to wreak havoc on the defensive side of the ball. And he's been able to be very impactful in that way. And what's so compelling about him as a player and prospect in particular is there's such a level of ambiguity about what he's going to eventually become. Um, if you look at his per 36 numbers right now, um, they're superior to that of Gary Payton, Joe Dubar, and Drew Holiday from the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, at his age. Um, so those guys who Gary Payton and Joe Dumar are Hall of Famers and Drew Holiday has been an all-star before, at their age, they were not as productive in the minutes that they played as the Anthony Melton has been. And that's quite a company to keep as far as a comparison is concerned. Um, Parker wrote a piece, I believe it was earlier this week, about his shooting, and it's the Anthony Melton shooting that's going to ultimately determine what his upside in the NBA is because he shot just 31% from three on a relatively limited number of attempts this year. He's not a non-shooter. Defenses have to respect him, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but he was a particularly proficient mid-range shooter by the eye test as well. But ultimately, if he can make threes at volume, that's going to what that's what's going to determine whether he can be an elite role player and a starter in this league or even a quasi-star in this league. And I think being an elite role player is my expectation for him because, again, I've seen the impact that he's had on this Grizzlies team this year and how they became immediately better as soon as he entered into the rotation. Now, with all that being said, I've seen guys that appear as talented as him that have flamed out of the league in three to four years. Would I be very, very surprised if that was the outcome for De'Anthony Belton? Of course I would be. But I don't think that's totally out of the question. And again, that's just what makes him so compelling and why I think other fan bases should try to get to know him better is it's rare that you'll find guys whose eventual upside and ceiling is so ambiguous. Like I can take a look at Dylan Brooks on the Grizzlies and say Dylan Brooks may not be totally a finished product, but he's going to stay in this kind of um, elite role player range the rest of his career. He's going to be a 15 to 18 point per game scorer, uh, provide a solid quality defense while being a volume three point shooter. I know the type of role that he's going to play going forward. I don't know exactly what the Anthony Melton will be, but I know he's been great for the Grizzlies this year and made them a better team. So it's a fascinating question to wrap your wrap your mind around for sure. For sure, yeah. I mean that that's the answers I would have had. I would have had Anthony Mellon or Dylan Brooks. Um, I wouldn't even say Tyus Jones. He's probably 
a top three to five backup point guard in the league. He's a great facilitator, takes care of the basketball, does a great job of dictating the tempo. And this year, he's actually come on as a spot-up shooter. It, it was really telling that he went from shooting like 17% from three to shooting closer to like 37, 38%. Like he was feeling it and catching hot. So, but with Chris, a lot of our fan base is going to be the Grizzlies. A lot of the base in this podcast will be the Grizzlies. So who is one guy on the Pelicans that they should pay more attention to? This is probably the easiest question I think you've asked me um, because this guy bleeds what I would say anybody that's watched Memphis over the past 10 years, like, I mean, it's who he is. And it's Josh Hart. Like, the way that I could describe it for someone who hasn't watched him this year or when he's been healthy on a basketball floor, if James Johnson, Matt Barnes, Shane Battier, and Tony Allen had a baby, if it wasn't Josh Hart, he would at least be like the cousin of that baby. Like, he's somewhere close to that group of players. He he's everything that what like he bleeds that type of rugged hustling style. Uh, he plays above above his height. He plays above his size. He's a glue guy. He's a dude that you know he's going to be a crucial part of you know a part of a of a championship team at some point, whether it's in New Orleans or it's with someone else down the line. He fits that mold. He's a guy who can stretch the who can stretch the floor. He, while offensively, he's not a guy that's going to be able to get his own consistently. He's beautiful in transition. I believe he ranks in the top fifty in the NBA in transition points. Um, and you know, he's one of the best rebounders in basketball. And the guy's only six five, six six. Um, I think that I mean, right now, you know, there's only. I, and I actually wrote a wrote a piece about him a couple weeks ago, and in my research I saw that there's that, that no other no wing other than Hart in the past decade has seen at least six boards per game playing under thirty minutes, like none, not not a single player, and there's only there's only two guards wings this well, slash wings this year averaging at least ten points and five rebounds under thirty minutes a game. That's Dejounte Murray and Josh Hart. So. Not only is he giving you everything he has, he's going to give it to you no matter how many minutes you play him. If you play him 10, you play him 25, you're going to get your money's worth. And, you know, to me, that that passion, I mean, he he was one of the first he, he was the first person, the first Laker they well, f- former Laker when when the trade went down to embrace New Orleans. He was talking about beignets and seafood and crawfish and all these things within the first minute. He somehow got his hands on some New Orleans Pelicans fl- uh, flip flops that I've never seen. Don't know how he got them, but but he did. He had he found a t shirt already. Like he was, it's almost like he was waiting for this moment. He was ready for it, and the city the city loves him. They they wrapped their arms around Josh, and his play matches that. So. Um, you know, I don't, similar to what you said about, about Dylan Brooks, actually, uh, I don't believe that he's going to be, he's a guy that will, that is completely developed, but 
I think what you what you're seeing of him right now, whatever the best version of him is, it won't be much better than this, but it's still a damn good basketball player. So, you know, if you like dudes that, you know, can relate to the common man, the common woman, you should love Josh Hart. And if you are if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan, I, I, I mean, he's everything that has worn. He's every wing, every two, every three, you know, every small forward, every power forward that has played in that system, uh, especially when the team was uh, winning playoff series over the past 10 years. Sure. And, you know, that's about all the time we have. It's been a fun show. Chris, let the people know where they can find you and your work. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Impatient Bull. Everything that we put out on the bird rights currently right now, I'm actually working up. I've, Parker is about to send me a few a few answers that I and we spoke about it early in the podcast. But he's finishing up something in which I'm going to post just a you know something that I like to do with opposing teams. But it's even better considering this matchup, this uh, rivalry that's that's brewing between Memphis and New Orleans. This is going to be great, and I think everybody's going to enjoy it. And more than anything, I think it gives people in New Orleans a chance to look a little bit deeper into what Memphis has. Because I'm, because like like I said, I'm very intrigued in some of their, some of their more uh, inner details of that roster of that team beyond just John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brooks, and uh, and Brandon Clark. So, yeah, uh, impatient bull. Follow every, you know, you can take a look at all our work at the Bird Rights, and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. No blood was shed. There were no WWE's uh, promos set. You know what I mean? I, I think we handled it well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm a big WWE guy, so I was kind of hoping to release my inner wrestler, my inner WWE superstar. But, you know, it's it's always fun just to talk hoops. So, Nate, let the people know where they can find you and your work. You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find all my Grizzlies-related content and NBA-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Parker, where can they find you, man? You can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. You can read my work at grizzlybearblues.com. Like Nate said, be sure you follow that on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast with the number four, not the word for be sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading every episode of the Core 4 GBB Live and the 3 Podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. That's it.